This is Melissa Stewart, welcoming you to an episode of Beyond Brave Podcast. Beyond Brave is a chance for us to learn from each other. It's also a time to be courageous by sharing ideas, especially those ideas that are initially less the perfect in the classroom. Lastly, it's a chance to be brave together by boldly embracing the culture of pedagogical inquiry. I would like to welcome Catrice Pite. Catrice is a consultant with the Hamilton County Educational Service Center. She has expertise in gifted and talented services, but recently has been busy with work in the area of equity. One Degree Shift is a program to better understand race, class, culture, and poverty in the classroom. Catrice facilitates the program by exploring current research on supporting students from diverse backgrounds and compiling strategies for creating a culturally responsive classroom. Participants in One Degree Shift collaborate to implement action plans. Welcome, Catrice. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's start with some background. How did you get started in education? Well, if you would have told me 20 years ago that I'd be in education, I probably would laugh at you. My mother is an educator, and forever I said I would never be an educator. In the freshman year of my um, college, I actually took a job at a child care center and instantly fell in love with working with children. So I immediately switched my major after my freshman year to be education because it just felt so natural. I have a similar story. From high school on, my mother said, you are meant to be in education. And I said, no way. And I think I was just tired in high school. I didn't want to wake up early anymore. And my first job right out of college was a high school teacher. So it goes to show you. Moms sometimes know best. That is true. And how did you make the switch from classroom teacher to a consultant working with lots of different districts? Yeah, so I originally am born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. And about seven years ago, I moved to Cincinnati by way of marriage And seven years ago, teaching first grade in Worthington, Ohio, up in Columbus, I thought for sure that I would be there forever. And I moved here and took a part-time job in transition with the hopes of finding something full-time. And the other half of my day, because let's be honest, nothing is ever (laughs) part-time. The other half of my day, I actually was working with a consultant in the district that I was working in. And I had had a lot of experience with the NWEA MAP test. And she reached out to me and said, hey, I'm moving on, transitioning to a new role. There's a district that could really use your expertise and support with MAP. So I fulfilled the other half of my day part-time with supporting one district. And I thought at the end of the day, that would be the end of it. But I interviewed for a full-time position, and here we are five, six years later. I know. Well, now that you've told me about MAP, I might have some additional questions about that. So I have had the privilege of speaking with you about One Degree Shift. And when you're talking about it, it is more than just a commitment that is in your voice. I feel like you were compelled to do this work. Do you think that's accurate? I would definitely say that that's accurate. So tell us about that journey. So One Degree Shift was born at my kitchen table about four years ago. I felt like as an educator and being in the role that I have as an education consultant, One of the things that I wanted to take advantage of is the platform that I had and an opportunity to really work with educators from all over the city. And I thought what a really unique opportunity to be able to have an exponential impact for students, for families, for staff members, no matter what the zip code was, 
to be able to impact what they did in terms of practices, policies, procedures on an exponential level. Your reputation as a consultant, especially working around the area of services for our gifted learners, your reputation is stellar. So I bet you could have done that for the rest of your career if that's what you chose. I think moving away from that where there is just such ample security into a field related to equity would take some courage. Do you agree with that? Have you had moments that you're like, this is a brave moment right here? Yes, definitely. Channeling uh, Brene Brown and feeling really brave and vulnerable and taking a leap of faith, it definitely does take a lot of courage. But for me, I feel like I'm doing the right work at the right time. So it's really an opportunity to shift gears just a bit. And while gifted is still at the core and at the center, there's an opportunity for those two to intersect for sure. Why do you think it's important for schools to take time to understand issues like race and class and poverty in the classroom? It impacts everything that we do. When we really think about the complexity of identity, either through our own lens ourselves or really through our students and our families, there are ways in which we navigate the world. And those ways are going to be connected to those pieces of your identity. So it may be pieces of your identity that are visible such as your race, perhaps your gender. And there are going to be pieces about your identity that are not going to be visible, that are going to impact the way in which you navigate the world and navigate a school, a district, any kind of space, because there are going to be policies, practices, procedures that are going to impact me differently based upon the complexity of my identity, as well as in a curricular way in the classroom. As we think about representation, it's really important for students to be able to see themselves reflected in our materials, in our staff, in our administration, really in all aspects. So this is a podcast and no one can see us, but as you're talking, I am like enthusiastically nodding my head. Our school district has been engaged in some work around equity, and it's my personal and professional experience that it can be hard to talk about the subject of race. Unlike other topics, I'm not sure that I was ever taught how to do that. I wasn't given the language or the skills to enter that conversation. So describe what a session in one degree shift feels like, looks like. That's a great question. I would certainly 100% agree with you that it is difficult for some people to talk about race. I actually, as a matter of fact, answered this question um, not too long ago when someone asked, At what point in your life or your professional journey did you feel like you started your journey around equity and and racial equity? And honestly, as a Black woman, I jokingly said, but it is the reality that I was born into it because it is my identity. So it's not something that I can strip or take away. I cannot opt into the conversation because it is who I am. I don't have the opportunity to opt out of that. So one degree shift. So let me just kind of explain to you in terms of how I've designed it and being intentional about that. So the one thing with one degree shift that I knew in designing it is that it had to be a multiple day experience. When we talk about equity and we talk about issues around race, culture, class, we never want the work to be what is perceived as one and done. So as a professional learning opportunity, it's really designed for people to come learn together as a part of a community in a small community and take things back to their home spaces. So whether it's a classroom, whether it's a central office, whether it is a building leadership role, and to take the things back 
and actually put them into application and practice. Have some time to reflect upon what they've learned and then come back together as a group to say, yes, this worked. No, this didn't. This needed some revision. And in addition to that, really when we think about inequitable systems, whether we're thinking schools or other systems that exist in our world, we have to start with the people that work within the system if we're wanting to dismantle and disrupt what those inequitable systems are. So for me, we have to do the work of the individual so that they can then change the way in which they interact with others around them. Then we can talk about changing things at a process, policy, practice, implementation role versus always targeting what's the quick band-aid fixer approach. Let's really start with the folks that work within the system first so that they better understand themselves, which then leads them to better understand others. When you're talking about that, what is happening in my mind is I'm thinking over and over about the idea of journey, not destination. And in the work that we've done here, we've talked about different stages. And especially as a white woman, I can be in the stage I think I know, but I really don't know. And that's almost like a dangerous stage to be in. So now I have these opportunities all the time as I try to be open to the conversation is to know like I'm moving along, but I'm always going to be learning, always going to be thinking more. And therefore, if I'm open to that, I'm serving students better because I'm just on the journey. Absolutely. So one of the other things in connecting to what you just said is we talk about this work being a journey. There never is an end destination. It is constant. There's always something new to tackle, some new issue to discuss, something different to that's connected to equity. And it actually makes me think about a quote out of White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And she talks about your position not being fixed on this continuum. And when I visualize this work on a continuum, it really depends on who you're interacting with, what the situation may be you know, a colleague versus a family member around a dinner table, you may feel more equipped and more empowered to step in, to speak up, to say something, to advocate, depending upon who's involved in that situation. In the book, she talks about not seeing your position as being fixed on a continuum, but really thinking about it being fluid and flexible, depending upon whom you're interacting with. And the question that we really should be asking ourselves is, what am I doing in this situation or moment? to interrupt, and better yet, how do I know that I'm doing that? So sometimes subconsciously in our brains, we feel like we're doing something, but what is the action in terms of interrupting or dismantling? Uh, Robin D'Angelo is one of my heroes. Once you read or watch one of her videos, it's disruptive in the best of ways. Absolutely. But you have to be ready. I agree. To be disruptive. I agree completely. What would you say to an educator who feels nervous about attending? So let me give you an example. In our work here at this district, we have monthly meetings regarding equity and specifically talking about how race manifests itself in the school setting. We've spent entire meetings where we've unpacked racial identity and talked about terms like African-American versus person of color versus brown, black. And how important it was to unpack that work. And when we're doing that, we've had teachers who've said, I felt nervous even about what to say. I just want to be so respectful. I'm so nervous about saying the wrong thing. And at times that has kept me from coming to the table. How do you get people to come to the table when they just feel nervous about it? So that's a really great question. So I'd I'd say this is kind of 
I've got maybe a three-part answer. One, the nerves means that you're doing the right work. If you feel comfortable and you feel great about this conversation, you probably should kind of question the intent behind that. So if you feel like you're having some butterflies or some nerves, that means that you're doing the right work. The second piece of that that I think about, if someone is feeling apprehensive or nervous, know that the point of One Degree Shift is to build a community, to build a community where you can come and not have the answers, not maybe know what questions to ask, but be willing to be open to the conversation. And part of being willing to be open to the conversation is also to be open and welcome to feedback. So as someone gives you feedback about maybe something that you say or maybe that a question that you have and they give you feedback to help you understand another perspective or another way to look at that, you have to be open and willing to receive that feedback and not be defensive about it, but instead turn that defensiveness into wonder and think, what about this situation or this moment is making me uncomfortable and be reflective and sit in that for a moment. This is a bit of a teaser, but one of the other podcasts is with Tristan Vaught, and we're specifically talking about issues related to sexuality and identity. And in that podcast, I made a mistake in the way that I used a pronoun, and we decided to leave it in. It is recorded, and you get to hear Tristan saying, whoops, you made that mistake, Melissa. And me hearing that and receiving that and owning that, and it in no way diminished my respect for Tristan or Tristan's respect for me. And But we felt like it was so important for people to know that you can be engaged in the work, you can make mistakes, and you can continue in the work. Absolutely. It's so interesting that you just brought that up. As a matter of fact, I was just on the phone with Tristan yesterday, <laughs> and I reached out to Tristan and I said, hey, I have a question for you. And I said, I'm asking you because I want to know when giving someone else feedback about this. I was having a conversation with someone else about Tristan and the work that is done with living with the change. And I said, if someone uses the incorrect pronoun as they are speaking about you, is it appropriate for me to correct that person? Oh, I want to hear the answer. And Tristan said, absolutely. What do you think is the greatest barrier for schools to adopt more inclusive practices related to equity? You know, really, when I think about equity, I think about who has opportunity and access. But in addition to that, as a part of that conversation, inequitable systems are designed to get the results they get intentionally. And within those systems, there are lots of people that hold a tremendous amount of power, depending upon their position, their privilege. And the folks that hold the power have the opportunity to make some significant changes to make things more equitable. As I think about that question, one of the most significant barriers that I not only have experienced but have seen in the world are the people that hold the power, are they willing to share that power and allow other people to help inform and make decisions So for me, when I think about maybe a visual representation of that, as we think about being invited to a table, and when you're being invited to a table, for me, it's no longer okay to just be invited to the table. When I'm invited to the table, I want to know that my voice is going to be heard, and I have an opportunity to really influence what decisions are being made, and not to just be a face at that table. 
So I think that's a significant barrier. Like you have to be willing to give some of that power up. And for a lot of people that are in power, it feels like they're losing control versus being able to share and really make an equitable decision with representation at the table. That's such a great answer. And it's hard for me to even continue with the podcast. I just want to stop and soak that in and think about it. And let's but, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, but we're going to continue just for the sake of time. Okay. Uh, last question. If people are interested in learning more from you, how do they get in touch with you? Email, Twitter. If you're a Twitter, please follow me. If you're a Twitter user, please follow me. So at the beginning of the podcast, Melissa um, said my name and it's Catrice Cate. Really fun fact about me. It actually is spelled Quitter. So it's Catrice and Quitter. My handle's at Catrice Quitter. Our district has been engaged in equity work for several years now, and we've been using the protocol of Courageous Conversations from Glenn Singleton. And one part of that protocol is hearing the counter narrative. And in our district, which is a predominantly white district, it has become such an essential part of the work to hear the counter narrative. And when you do hear it, at times as a white woman, it's totally uncomfortable for me. At times, it want, it makes me want to feel heartbroken. And sometimes it's even hearing the counter narrative from a parent who wants me to understand my role in it. I'm so thankful for the protocol because it has allowed us to determine what to do in those moments. So instead of the urge to fix it or problem solve around it, we just sit in that moment. We just sit in that moment with that person and we honor that space and we say, thank you for speaking your truth. And so what I want to say to you, Catrice, is thank you for speaking your truth. I feel like everywhere I go in the greater Cincinnati area, your name is being mentioned. And right now, schools are really starting to dig into work related to equity. Recently, you had an equity circle was just a, a way to gain space to have these conversation amongst many districts with a little tiny bit of structure underneath of it. Absolutely. And I met people at that equity circle who I'd never met before. And hearing their story, whether it be personal or professional, I can't wait until the next one till I can see them again. So my belief is with you offering this space, not only can it positively impact students all over in many, many school districts, but I really believe that the greater Cincinnati area can be a change agent for what we're doing regarding equity. We can be the place that everybody comes sees to say, how did you ever do this work? And I think one of the leaders of that is you. And I just feel so thankful to know you and to have you here as part of this. Thank you so much.